Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's open our Bibles to Micah chapter 4. And stay standing for the reading of God's word. Micah chapter 4, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather the outcasts, even those whom I have afflicted. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come to your word and hear it preached. Father, that you would give us humble hearts. Father, that you would help us to meditate on you, on your glory, and Father, on your providence over all things. Father, we thank you that we can rest in you, knowing that you are the God who superintends all things. We pray as we contemplate that, that you would help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So we've been going through Micah for a while. And the first part of Micah, you'll remember, is the the prophet going through the, the sins of the leaders of, of Judah. And in 3.12, in verse 12 of chapter 3, the, the destruction of Judah is, is laid forth explicitly. Right? Therefore, on account of you, he's just talked about the, the leaders, the priests, and um, the, the prophets... He says, therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins. And the mountain of the temple will become high places of a forest. Right? Utter destruction. God's judgment is coming. Israel has already fallen, been dragged off into exile. And Judah, is their judgment is uh, just about to come. That judgment we read of uh, fulfilled during the, the prophet uh, Jeremiah. Read his, his lamentations about the pain of that uh, exile. Now, we come to verse or chapter 4, and chapter 4, the, the sun breaks through the clouds. There's a prophecy of peaceful days coming in the future. We talked about that. A sermon ago and what that means when is that fulfilled is it fulfilled um, is it fulfilled in the Christianized earth is it fulfilled in the church age is it fulfilled um, a few years down the road when they return to build rebuild um, Jerusalem Um, and the answer is Jesus that's the answer 
It's when Christ's kingdom comes and the, the representative of the covenant takes on flesh and dies for his people and begins that age of the church. Okay, and so, and we're going to get, I mean, chapter 5, we're going to get Bethlehem. We're going to get the birth of Jesus, right? These prophecies are coming up about Jesus. And so, but, but in the midst of this, we, we get, um, we're looking ahead. God is, is making his, is restating his covenant promises that he will not leave or forsake his people. And, and verse 6 stood out to me, and so I decided I would make verse 6 a topical sermon, which you can do as you preach expositionally. You take one verse and you take one word out of that verse and then you just use that as your topic. And so here we are. And so it struck me, he says, In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather the outcasts, even those whom I have afflicted. God is saying that he has afflicted his people. Right? And that is something that we have to wrap our heads around. That is something that we have to come to terms with. That there is an affliction that comes from the Lord. Right? There is an affliction that comes from the Lord. In fact, all affliction comes from the Lord in his providence. And so here's the general principle. God afflicts his people. That's the great American, you know, Christian creed, right? God afflicts his people. No, a general principle of today's church would be that God God gives his people every whim they desire. Right? God is your your uh is in your posse. God is um meant to uh meant to make life a um, an easy walk, right? But this is but this this is the general principle of Scripture. We see it everywhere. God afflicts His people, right? We have a tendency to think of Christian as pros- prosperity. This is not just an American attitude. This is an African attitude, right? Prosperity with the gospel comes ease in life and prosperity and money and wealth and land and. And, um, you know, an increase of friends and influence and everything good. And then along comes a statement like this that says that God, even as he assembles the lame and gathers the outcasts, he had been afflicting them. The affliction had come from him. The, The idea that our faith in God would lead to affliction, not merely because the world is Right, we, we could see affliction as we believe in Jesus. Everybody hates us that we believe in Jesus. And so this affliction, it comes from the world, right? It's, um, we, the idea that our faith in God would lead to affliction, not merely because the world is hostile to our faith, but because God deals with us as with sons. That it is God who directly afflicts his children. He gives them hard things. He gives them painful things. He gives them, I mean, what is affliction? Affliction is that which we would never choose if it was left up to us. 
right? We would never choose affliction. Give me pain. I mean, unless you're weird, right? If you, unless you have a martyr complex, unless you have some sort of, you know, um, something going on such as that. But God deals with us as with sons, and Scripture says this, he scourges every son whom he receives. That's a really difficult concept to accept. It's a really difficult thing to wrap our heads around. He scourges his sons. And so we've, we, we have abandoned discipline as a society. And I mean, somebody was telling me, somebody went to like a, uh, I think it was somebody at Presbytery, a fellow pastor was telling me they went to a preaching conference like to brush up on preaching. And the guy who led it actually told people publicly that they were wrong. I was like, we've, we've completely abandoned that. We don't like discipline anybody, but certainly not publicly would we ever tell anybody that they're wrong, right? Like the application you made from that passage, he was like, is not, should not be made, right? That is, that is reading into it. You got it wrong. Start over. Go back and come back up. It's like, wow, okay. But we've disciplined that. We've, we've abandoned that sort of discipline as a society and even deemed discipline hurtful, harmful, toxic, judgmental, right? Psychologically stunting. We don't spank. We don't correct. We don't keep score at youth baseball games. It's, you know, it's just too psych psychologically too much. We only affirm. We only affirm. Right? We, we have built a society that, that um, forces us to affirm even when we don't want to, right? As the rainbow-colored logos make it into my inbox. And so um, God afflicts his people, though. That's the teaching of Scripture. God will afflict every one of his sons, if you're a Christian, you can expect affliction. And now, affliction, affliction. That's like an abstract word, isn't it? Affliction. I mean, what is affliction? What is affliction? Um, I mean, all of us have experienced affliction, some more than others, but all of us have. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, a, um, uh, there's a relative scale, right? Um, one thing for one person may be difficult, but through the course of affliction they've gone through, that first thing may become easy in the long run, right? And, and real affliction comes along, and you realize what's, what's affliction. But what is, how has God afflicted us? COVID-19 has been an affliction from God. How has COVID-19 been an affliction from God? Well, there's been death. It's one thing. But even more than that, there's been division in the church. That's an affliction from God. Failing health is an affliction from God. Not being able to bend over and pick something up that weighs five pounds is an affliction from God and is something that you think about all the time. 
having our sins exposed, right? We sin, we sin, we sin, we sin in private, and everything's going fine, and then suddenly somebody finds out. That's affliction. That's, a, that's embarrassment. That's, there's shame associated with it. Uh, financial hardships can be an affliction. Loss of a job. Suddenly, right? Going along, things seem to be fine. Boss calls you in. You've got two weeks. Find a new job. Death is always an affliction. Uh, the worst sort of affliction. Death of children. Death of spouses. Death of friends. Being depressed and sad. When the weight of life is too heavy and you feel like God has abandoned you. That's affliction. Having a lack of assurance in your faith, that's affliction. When, you're, when your assurance goes down and you don't even know whether there's a God above and and you don't know whether he is concerned or cares for you or even knows you or thinks about you. Persecution is an affliction, right? An affliction that in coming years will we'll get to know more of as we continue to testify of Jesus Christ and it becomes harder to testify publicly about Jesus Christ, then the affliction of persecution will come along. How many of you have lost friends because you witnessed to them? I mean dear friends. I mean long-time friends. The best men at your wedding. The best, you know, the, 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 ch- the friends you grew up with. From your hometown, you witnessed to them and they said, see you later. I don't ever want to talk to you again. There's also the affliction that we live in a world where the wicked flourish. The wicked constantly win. The wicked go from better to better to better to better to better, right? And they don't seem to be afflicted, right? Their eyes are fat. They, they bulge with fatness. They just, things, things seem to go, go well for them. And that's an affliction to us, right? What about rebellious children? That's an affliction. It's a torturous affliction. What about having to work for a harsh boss? Or a jealous boss, or a or a an uncaring boss, every day going into work and feeling that cosmic weight is an affliction. That can be an affliction. What about hearing loss? That's an affliction. What about blindness? Right, Mary, that's an affliction. But what is all of this, this affliction, right? God does this affliction, and so does God do anything that's bad? Does God do anything that's wrong, right? Our presupposition is that everything that God does is good. And so if he commands that whole cities be destroyed in the Old Testament, including the women and children, that command is good, okay? 
right? If he determines that he's going to afflict, going to afflict his people, right, or you, then that's good. Because all that God does is good. And there's nothing that comes to pass except by his active knowledge of that. And so why does he do this? Why does he afflict his children? What, and, and it's this. Affliction is God's means of disciplining us as sons, right? It's God's means of disciplining us. If we didn't discipline our children, it would be an indication of what? That we did not love our children, right? If we didn't try to correct them, if we, if we saw them running in the road with a, with a garbage truck coming along and we were like, yeah, I'm just not going to choose to discipline that child right now, and they were crushed by that garbage truck, well, that's an indication that we had lacked love, did not have concern for them. And so afflictions are God's means of disciplining us. You know, God doesn't, doesn't appear to us bodily and spank us, right? I mean, in some sense, many of us uh, who are thinking foolishly might prefer that. But you don't want to be standing in the presence of God um, throwing a tantrum, right, with your sins, But he doesn't do that, but he does come to us continually by his providential use of the things of this world. He's constantly communicating to us. He's constantly appearing to us through these providential afflictions, through the ordering events that make you suffer. He's doing that. He's doing that for you now. You know, there are, there are other means that God uses to di- discipline us, right? And by disciplining us, I'm, I mean pruning us back so that we grow. That's the purpose of discipline. Discipline isn't just to, for God to have an opportunity to assert his dominance. No, he's loving. He's a father, right? So when he disciplines, he prunes us so that we might grow, but there are other ways that God disciplines us. What, what, what other ways does God discipline us than what I've been speaking about, which is his work through providential affliction? I'll take answers. Active instruction, the word of God preached. God is disciplining you tonight through the word preached. Through the word of God, through your reading of the word of God, through that teaching that he comes to us, where you bring in all of your foolish ideas, you read the word of God, you hear it preached, and then you're like, okay, that's what God thinks, that's what I thought, I was wrong, he's right. He's disciplining us, right? He's communicating to us that way. Pastoral care, spiritual authority are ways that he disciplines us. We have church discipline. God uses raises up authorities under Jesus in order to care for a flock, right? And that's church discipline. And so there's the means of church discipline. You go off the rails, the the elders are going to come to you and, and yell at you and belittle you. No. You go off the rails and the elders go into the one out of 99 has strayed. What do we do? 
What do we do? How do we, rec- how do we find the sheep? How do we bring the sheep back? How do we do this? Unfortunately, many sheep who receive that kind of care despise that authority. Despise that means that God uses to be a father to them. So there are the, the word preached, the word taught, the word read, the pastoral care, spiritual authority, church discipline. But then there's also affliction. Affliction, hardships, pain. Paul says it's momentary light affliction. Paul calls our lives filled with momentary light affliction. Next time you take six days to pass a kidney stone, I'm going to tell you momentary light affliction. Right, Renton? Fact of the matter is, is that is momentary light affliction, considering that those who do not know the Lord will be disciplined forever without end, Without any compassion, without any means for them to reform, they will be punished forever, eternally in hell, away from any benevolent presence of God, only bearing his wrath. And so, yes, whatever we go through here is momentary light affliction. He says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. An eternal weight of glory. This affliction that God brings to us is producing something, and it's producing glory. Right? It's producing like, it's making you into something glorious. It's making you into something like the glorious one who is Jesus. Right? It's making you able to come into his presence and not be just like a a foreigner who's out of his country and in a a foreign land. It'll be like, You'll, you'll come into his presence and, and you'll, you'll know this righteousness. You'll know this sanctified righteousness. Think about the, Jesus. The Son of God was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He was considered to be stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God. The Son of God himself was afflicted by God the Father. And we've been told time and time again, right, that as he went, so will we go, right? It was the sermon this morning. It was Luke 9, 23 to 27. Take up your cross, die daily, right? Self-denial. That was the life that Jesus Christ lived, right? And he, and he suffered, right? And he was afflicted. And so we go the same way. So even as, I mean, this, this, this passage, again, is set in the midst of these wonderful promises that God will provide relief. So even as he promises and provides relief from spiritual death and our, our bondage to sin, he tells us the afflictions that come to us in this life are from him. 
I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. Paradise for, forever. You're going, to be, you're going to be with me. I'm preparing a place for you, right? Um, your sins will be removed. You'll enjoy an eternal Sabbath. And until that time, you will be afflicted by me. You will be pressed down. You will be shaped. You will be pruned and reformed. Until that time, when you become... When, you, when you're glorified and you are like Jesus. And so the same path that Jesus took is the same path that God has us take. Even Job's afflictions were from God by means of the hand of Satan, right? We look at Job and we think, man, okay, he lost his livelihood, he lost his homes, he lost his children, and then he lost his health, right? And, he's, and all in the space of, you know, a few hours. And we wonder, well, 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 it looks like Satan was doing all those afflictions, and yet you remember that it was God who allowed Satan to do those things. And so... Um, and, then we, and then the friends come along and they say, you know why you're being afflicted? You're being afflicted because you're terrible. Because you're a terrible and wicked person. Because God doesn't afflict the righteous. He just afflicts the wicked. And Job's like, hmm. No, no, God afflicts the righteous. That is exactly why Satan was allowed to touch Job is because he was a righteous man. That's exactly why. So affliction, uh, affliction comes to the righteous, not to the wicked. God leaves the wicked man to his own sins. Affliction is not an indicator or an indication of God's withdrawal, but an indication of God's fatherly care. It's, it's an indication of his closeness to you when he calls you to suffer. The trick is in that moment thinking, God has abandoned me. God has abandoned my family. God has, has, has no regard for me. Why can't I hear God speak? Why, can't, why isn't he present with me? Why don't I feel any sort of goodness coming from the Lord, that's, that's the trick. But, but what he's doing is he's speaking through the affliction, right? And he's saying to you, be like my son Jesus, trust in me, depend upon me. He's speaking right through that affliction. He's speaking right in your pain. I mean, if you think God superintends the world and everything that comes to pass is not just an arbitrary collision of molecules, Right? If you believe that there's a God who causes everything that comes to pass to come to pass. It's very hard to remember this when we're suffering, isn't it? We cry out with the psalmist, why do the wicked prosper? We cry out with the psalmist, how long, O Lord, will you afflict me forever? God, why are you so far away? Why are you so silent? Thomas Watson, you, you knew I would pull in a Puritan here to help me out when we're talking about affliction and its goodness. 
because they they were physicians of the soul, right? They got into things like this. They didn't just give us, you know, 12 steps for for not losing our hair. Um, he says, The wise God, by a divine chemistry, turns afflictions into cordials. He makes his people gainers by losses and turns their crosses into blessings. Gaining by losing. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, the Son of God, died, and there was so much superfluity of gain in that moment, right? It was just such a rich and fruitful moment, but it was his death. He died. And so we become gainers by losses, right? These afflictions come to us. We lose our health, and we gain what? God, faith, dependence, prayer. The, the scriptures come alive to us because suddenly we now have a reason to be reading the scripture because we want hope, because we feel hopeless, right? But when we were comfortable, it's like, who cares about hope? I'm doing pretty well. I don't need hope. I don't need faith. I don't need Jesus. I need my paycheck, and I need to hang out with my friends. And then along comes affliction, and we begin gaining by losing. Nowhere does Scripture promise God's children a flowery bed of ease in this life. Right? We will be sick. We, our sins will do real harm to people. We will commit things and never be able to undo those things, and it will do real harm to others. Pain is going to be frequent in this life. Losses will continually come. And God knows that, and God brings these afflictions and intends to use all of those afflictions to do what? To do what? I've already said it, but this is the big point. To make us like his son. That's the answer. That's what he's doing. He will press you down so hard to make you like his son, Jesus, because he loves his son. He loves his son, and his son honors him. He was the faithful man, right? He was, he was the one who kept his father's law. He was the one who did everything to, to glorify, glorify the father. And the father wants us to be like that. He wants to conform us to the image of his son. And so that's why these afflictions come, to make us like his son. That is why Christians willingly embrace, embrace affliction. God in his word has revealed to us that afflictions are from him and they are part of his fatherly love for us. They are not signs to the Christian that he is accursed or forsaken by him. They are the opposite of that. It's his fatherly care. Can we accept this? Do you accept this? Let me tell you about one of my friends. And I've I've, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but I, I, end of last year in November, I went to a funeral in Bloomington, Indiana, of one of my dear friends, a 43-year-old doctor named Adam Spady. He died suddenly, without warning, without any 
pre-existing diagnosis or conditions. He had a genetic heart defect and died while his wife tried to revive him. 43 years old, seven children, six, six like us, I think. Six children from the age of about 19 down to five. And we were all, and, and Adam was an elder of the church. He was a, a, a rock, a solid man, the man you would want to go into battle with. He was that sort of guy. And God's, God took him away and has afflicted many people by that death. And then about three months later, the autopsy comes back. It's this genetic defect. And so the doctor says, well, you should, you should have your children tested for this genetic defect. And five of her six children have the same defect and can essentially drop dead at any moment. All the children had to come out of sporting activities, right? And they had to change their life, change their diet, do these things. But honestly, there's, there's not much they can do. And just think of Don Spady weighing all of this affliction, crying out to God, just wondering, is there any goodness in this? Is there anything? Why? Why? Why all of this? And yet what I know about Dawn Spady is that she'd be the first to tell you that this is about the discipline of the Lord. She's faithful. Does she cry herself to sleep at night? Yeah, probably most nights. Does she feel like she couldn't possibly go on living for another minute? Yeah, I'm sure she does. But when she speaks of it, she speaks what Scripture speaks, and she says, this is God's discipline and God is good. And he better supply the strength for me to bear up under his, his affliction. He must. Where else would I go? But can you and I, you know, that, that may be an extreme example of affliction, but all of us go through affliction. All of us have painful things that we're dealing with. And can we love this doctrine can we love the doctrine that says, no, this is from God. This is from God. This is God pressing you down. He loves you. He loves you, and it's going to hurt. Psalm 119.71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. Prosperity tends toward forgetfulness of God. Think of Israel, the, the, the warnings that Israel received as they went into the promised land. It's like you're going to go in there, you're going to get fat, you're going to have food, you're going to drink from wells you haven't dug, and you're going to forget me. And so he, can't, he brings round after round after round after round of affliction. And out of that comes a remnant that believes, right, that is honed. And that is trained by that discipline. Your afflictions tend toward remembrance of God. Your afflictions bring you back to prayer. Your afflictions get you back into the word. Your afflictions make you think that coming to church is more about worshiping this Lord than it is about getting together with your friends or fellowshipping, right? It just completely puts you back on the right path.
All right, a few more concluding thoughts from Tommy Watson. He, in All Things for Good, his little book, he's got a a section in there called um, Why Afflictions Are Good. And I just want to share a few of the things he said in that, that section. Afflictions are our preacher and teacher. He says, in the word preached, we hear what a dreadful thing sin is, that it is both defiling and damning, but we fear it no more than a painted lion. Therefore, God lets loose affliction, and then we feel sin bitter in the fruit of it. The sickbed often teaches more than a sermon. It's so true. It's so true. You need both the sermon, but you, you will also profit from the sickbed. Second, afflictions make our hearts more upright. As we sometimes hold a crooked rod over the fire to straighten it, so God holds us over the fire of afflictions to make us more straight and upright. Third, they, afflictions can form us to Christ. Was his head crowned with thorns, and do we think to be crowned with roses? Fourth, afflictions are destructive to sin. There is much corruption in the best heart. Affliction does by degrees work it out as the fire works out the dross from the gold. Fifth, afflictions loosen our hearts from the world. Right, as we look to that world to come where pain, affliction, losses, separations end, right? We look to that world, and so we wean ourselves from this world. Six, afflictions make way for comfort. God sweetens outward pain. Listen to this. God sweetens outward pain with inward peace. Right? Have you ever been in such turmoil because of something that's going on and yet you were able at that point to have the best fellowship you've ever had with the Lord? Right? You're suffering, you're suffering, and then the sweetness of prayer, the sweetness of that fellowship of just, just putting out the rest of the world and being with God is so sweet That happens only when we are afflicted. Afflictions make us happy, he says, number seven. It may be said, how do afflictions make us happy? We reply that being sanctified, they bring us nearer to God. They make us happy because they make us like God. Eighth, afflictions silence the wicked. How ready are the wicked to attack the godly that they serve God only for self-interest? Therefore, God will have his people endure suffering for religion that they may put a padlock on the lying lips of the wicked man. Isn't that beautiful? Do you know what Thomas Watson is saying there? He's saying, look, the, the wicked look at Christians and, and they say, the only, like, like, you know, Job. You know, afflict him and he'll, he'll curse you, right? You guys only serve God because God gives you positive vibes and God makes things easy for you and God is your crutch and, you're, you know, it's, 
And that's what the wicked say. And then God says, well, let me show you something. I'm going to send affliction on this person. They're going to suffer and they're still going to worship me. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Right? And then finally, afflictions make a way for glory. As plowing prepares the earth for a crop, so afflictions prepare and make us meet for glory. And so, here's my conclusion. Your suffering is purposeful. Your suffering is purposeful. It comes from a God who cares for you, who is a father to you. It is filled with purpose. It is filled with love. It is filled with intent. It is filled with care. All of your suffering, all the afflictions that you receive from the Lord are that way. And they are temporary. They are temporary. They will end. You will be at peace. You will never know pain again. In Jesus Christ, in his presence, eternally. So bear up. They're purposeful and they're temporary. I want to close by reading one scripture here. And that ties this together. This is in the middle of Lamentations, right? Jeremiah is afflicted. The people of God are afflicted. He's been imprisoned. He's, they're being, the people are being dragged away by hooks. And here's what he writes. I am a man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places he has made me dwell like those who have been long dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for the arrow. He has made the arrows of his quiver to enter into my inward parts. I have become a laughingstock to all my people, their mocking song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say, my strength has perished. And so my hope from the Lord... And then this prayer, remember my afflictions and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, my, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, 
to the person who seeks him. Right? The Lord is my portion. That's what he learned through his afflictions. Not this world. The world is not his portion. The Lord is his portion. That's what afflictions teach us. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray and ask that you would continue to afflict us so that we might be like your son, Jesus, and grow in holiness. We pray that you would give us strength to bear up. I pray that we would remember that it is momentary and light affliction that produces for us an eternal weight of glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.